0: Coaching Inside the Box, a youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Welcome, 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 welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 15, 16, 722, I don't know, but we're here and we're glad you're with us. Um, Surprise, surprise, Philippe decided to join us again for 15 or 16 episodes in a row. Welcome back, Philippe.
1: Thank you. Yeah, excited to be here one more time and let's get it going.
0: And we're going to be talking goalkeeping today, which is interesting. Philippe chose to wear his German jersey, which I'm genuinely shocked that Philippe
1: has a German jersey.
0: Is it because we're talking goalkeeping?
1: Uh, Not really, Uh, although Germany has had the best goalkeepers. um, Recent memory? Recent, yeah. Yeah, I would agree.
0: But that's Taffarelli from the 94 World Cup for Brazil. He was a stud. Oh, for sure. Also joining uh, the podcast again, surprise, surprise, Andy Barney from Oxford, England. Andy, favorite goalkeeper of all time?
2: Oh come on, really? Gordon uh, Banks. Jorge Campos. Gordon Banks. Gordon Banks. Oh, the yeah. man that saved that incredible header from Pele in the 1970 World Cup. Lauded sometimes as the best save ever. Oh, ever. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. In in uh, this is literally in, in interstellar history. You know, all over the universe, it's the best save ever. <laughs> very good, very
1: good. That's the kind of stuff <laughs> England celebrates. <in> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: fantastic, fantastic. And those of you guys listening very close might notice there's actually another laughter on on this podcast this time. So it's not going to just be me, Philippe, and Andy giggling throughout the entire time. We've got somebody else joining us, and it would be it would make sense that this episode would be the episode that we would uh, that we would bring on a guest for the first time we're talking about goalkeeping, and let's be honest, Philippe and Andy are absolutely awful, awful goalkeepers. And I, I'm okay, but I'm not, I'm not great. Um, but this hey, one hey, is: Hey, uh,
2: I won the national indoor over thirty men's soccer championship, and in the semifinal and the final, I played in goal. So that's interstellar in and of itself. Yes, yes. It, you know, and Gordon Banks had nothing on me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a highly specific championship. Way. <laughs> let me get the introduction out of the way, but Andy, remember, you're going to have to tell us the story of when the, the, the one time you made like the regional team as a goalkeeper in jeans at tryouts. We'll come back to that in a moment, but before okay. we get there, let me introduce our guest today. It is Bo Williams, raised in Prairie Village, Kansas. Bo spent his early years in constant motion. Athletics always seemed a natural fit, and soccer became his favorite sport. He played the majority of his youth with the club Kansas City Legends. His club was awarded second place in the United States Youth Soccer National Championship in 1996. He played his high school uh, soccer for Shawnee Mission East, where he was awarded All-State honors. Bo attended UMKC on a soccer scholarship and started all four years for the Kangaroos. His junior year, he led the team to the second round of the NCAA Division I Men's Soccer Tournament before losing to St. Louis University 2-1. to That same year, he was awarded by his teammates and as Team Most Valuable Player and won MVP honors in the Summit Conference Championships. After flirting with professional soccer for a while, Bo turned his attention to another of his loves, the hospitality industry. Throughout his 20 years in the business, Bo has built a large clientele and owns two bars and restaurants with his wife, Keely Edgington. Julep, established in 2014 in historic Westport, Kansas City, and Canary, established in 2021 in Midtown KC. Both has received numerous accolades, including Best Bar in KC, Julep, and Best New Restaurant in Kansas City, Canary. Bo has also had a few small stints as goalkeeper coach for the UMKC Kangaroos in the 2000s. He still loves the beautiful game and has hinted at the possibility of coaching again in the future. He sees a strong link between his playing career and his professional life, technique, fundamentals and self-belief make not only great athletes but great chefs bartenders and servers when not taking in a game or residing over the bar or restaurant you can probably find bo hanging at home with his wife and two daughters and this coming january marks one of bo's greatest accomplishments 10 years married to his soulmate keely edgington williams well bo you'd mention you failed to mention that you're a fantastic writer because <laughs> that is one heck of a bio
2: excuse me, did you say Great athletes or gray? Athletes. Uh, I, are you commenting on the color of my hair now? Just, I didn't know this was going to be personal. Uh, I just—I didn't think that you know if we invited you onto the podcast that I would look younger than anybody. <laughs> oh, no,
3: Thank you so much. Yes, time has been uh, wonderful to me. I, I'm just lucky to have all my hair at this point, or most of it. I mean, let's not lie.
2: And, and can I ask you a question? Is out of all of these wonderful achievements that, that, that you know that your lifetime you? you you've made happen, why didn't you mention the five national indoor soccer championships that the Kansas City Legends Club won with you in goal?
3: Well, I, you know, I I literally threw this together this morning. There, there are a lot of accolades. Best written
0: bio I've ever read. I literally <laughs> just threw it together this we,
3: morning. We, we did win a couple of national indoor championships as well. Five. Uh, five. five. <laughs> so that that was pretty cool. But, you know, for me, the the game really takes place uh, on, a, on an outdoor pitch, and especially for a goalkeeper, it, it challenges you in so many other ways really leading from the back in a different fashion than what you get in a smaller format game. Uh, It just seems to me to be, you know, the way the game is supposed to be played. And and obviously, Philippe, I'm not here to talk trash or anything like that. I think what you do is very, you know, uh, commendable and very difficult and obviously uh, is a great way to make a living. Uh, But that said, I think, you know, if you had your druthers, would you rather be on an 11-11 or would you rather be on a small field? Okay. Philippe place for the comets. I so know. He's that's, be why he, that's why. That's why he's got to be that. very. Yeah,
2: careful. he's got to be very careful not to be derogatory about the uh, the small-sided game.
0: But Philippe wishes he'd have played
2: for the Casey Wiz circa I don't
0: 1996. Know, Philippe, too. No, I've I've heard. I've heard.
3: <laughs> you guys don't know this, but I actually listened to a couple of these. So, well yeah, woo. I have this weird thing where I like to be prepared. Now we know that, who man, that second listener is, especially when Andy is involved. So uh, Philippe, Philippe, told you know, has expressed that you know he wanted to play for the Brazilian national team, and I mean maybe it's that maybe it was the futsal team. I don't know, but I'm I'm pretty sure <laughs> since he was actually talking about that Brazilian side with Ronaldinho and et cetera, That he was talking about the the men's eleven sided. National team
1: well, obviously we had a whole episode against futsal, so that's definitely uh, <laughs> out of the question <laughs> so that was a, that was never my dream growing up right. and I mean you're right uh obviously there's no indoor soccer in Brazil, so I didn't even know that existed uh, until I got here and honestly, it was pretty much um, after college because I took three years off after I graduated and then the opportunity gained came up and you know now I fell in love with that game uh completely and I mean right now I'm happy where I am and you know um just enjoying uh the experience but definitely growing up my dream was to be in the Brazilian national team win the world cups you know beat England like we always do and stuff yeah, like that you know C'est I la
3: vie. the the big the closest thing for me were the, the Kansas City Comets when I was a kid yeah, you know yeah, I mean yeah. when we were playing in Kemper Arena and you know, Gino Sheraldi and Kim Runfed and Alan Mayer and Goal. And these guys were like, you know, legends in my mind of sorts and larger than life figures. But, you know, eventually it was, some of that luster maybe wore off when you started to realize like they were club coaches and you started to get to know these guys. And they were just people, you know, they're just people like you and me. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I never held like this. There was never like, I want to play for the Comets necessarily, but I what I really wanted to see was, you know, America embraced soccer more wholly. And for me, it seemed like the indoor stuff was really the big push to get that, you know, the MLS off the ground and things like that. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, we needed to grow it to, an outdoor game to really embrace it as a, as a nation, which I think we finally kind of come around to
0: It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's fun to see for sure. So I've got, I've so got I, I'm thing. not trying
3: to trash the, the indoor championships. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mention the indoor let's, championships. Let's switch to
2: outdoors. And do you realize that the team that you kept goal for, for the Kansas city legends club, I believe is the only team ever, at least on the boys side to win six consecutive Kansas state cups. I didn't know that. No. So. But,
3: yeah, we had, a, we had a great run, you
2: know. We were uh, – Well, you were a big part of that run. One of the reasons we had a great run is that nobody could score on you. Well, that helps for sure, you know. I
3: mean, uh, but we, had, we we talked about it. We had a wonderful uh, front and uh, back four that was in front of me uh, that made my life significantly easier. And, you know, we really did play, you know, 11 guys forward, 11 guys back. I mean, we really played two-way soccer, and that was a big part of, uh, you know, hearing Andy and, you know, uh, talking about getting stuck in or, you know, Slegs from the other sidelines screaming crunch all the time uh you know it was a big part of what we did it wasn't just the the beautiful side of the game but the dirty work too and you know there were 11 guys who were committed to doing it uh it wasn't just me uh but yeah we were we were fortunate we had a really good run there uh, great group group of guys and uh that really liked playing with each other and that's the crazy part is that the core of that team had been around we've been playing together since we were like eight yeah. A lot so, of the guys that used to play for that team have said their one motivation for not conceding a goal was
2: not having to get beaten up by you. Well, conceded- well that's <laughs> a
0: fantastic that's a fantastic segue for me to mention. Bo probably doesn't remember this, but him and I shared a soccer field a little bit, right? Right? As I finished High school, I went and tried out for the Kansas City Brass, which was like the PDL team here in Kansas City. And Bo was, I think, finishing up his career at UMKC, but still playing with the Brass. And Bo, you were the first person that ever ever intimidated the crap out of me on the soccer field. And and uh, so, thank you for that. I, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have that it, quality. It, it was guess. Ryan Barber too, until I started chatting to him and realized that he's just a gentle giant, nice guy, right? But Bo was meaner than snot early. (laughs) least i thought so as an 18 year old kid um bo so you started playing legends at eight yeah i think so yeah yeah, and and at the time were you were you destined to be a goalkeeper is that what you wanted to do or 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 when did that 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 transition you know
3: before i switched over to uh to the legends i was playing with a Udinese team which was uh coached by a couple guys uh italian guys actually and one of them ramon is uh he uh, was kind of integral part of me making that switch a little bit. I think really what happens, the goalkeeper got hurt. I got thrown in there in a game, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, hey, you're tall, hop back there. And, you know, I think I jumped up and caught a ball. Yeah. Like, And, you know, this is, we're like eight. And that's like a big deal. <laughs> like you just jump up and catch the damn thing, right? <laughs> and so everybody's like, oh, you're going to be great at this, you know? Like, and there you go, you're off. And I'm just kind of like, uh is anybody going to ask me if I want to do this, you know? And so it took me a while to come around. You know, I really loved the activity of being involved in the game, and it's uh, definitely uh, an outsider looking in kind of aspect of being a goalkeeper a lot, which uh, which I got over. I mean, I think a big part of it is uh, the training side, being able to work with Ramon one-on-one, really working on some of uh, the technique and the basics of what it is to be a goalkeeper. Just simple stuff like – Once the ball starts dropping, that's when you go up to meet it. And simple things that, you know, that I took with me for the rest of my life. Uh, Just uh, driving your knee up to protect yourself, but also to get you, you know, give you that few extra inches uh, to get that that high one. Uh, How to properly catch a ball with your fingertips. Just simple stuff like that. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, I I got... uh, well, and then on top of that, I was good at it, you know? like, I had great hands, so you're like, oh, catch the ball, I get to use my hands? Like, oh, well, I'm actually really good with those. Uh, so, okay, cool. And next thing you know, I'm a, I was a goalkeeper for life.
0: For life. Well, we we I think all of us probably have that moment when we moved from wherever we were previous to play for legends, except the guys that started at like four or so. And and for me, I think I was six or seven, and I remember being in full on. I think I've told this to you before, Andy. I've been in full on tears when my dad said, "Hey, we're going to go try out for the legends," and it was it was in 1990 when the the, tra- the age group changed. So my team went from being birth year, which is what it is now, to being basically grade year. And uh, so my team was breaking up. I played for Avelino. And um, I was like... No, Dad, I'm not going to go try out for the Legends. And he was like, yeah, you are. And I was full on tears. They're awful. We beat them by 10 goals every time. And my dad had must have at some point heard you, Andy, talk about the method to the madness and why why they were doing all these skills. And so my dad bought in, and so that's why I moved. When your parents made the decision to move you to Legends, uh, certainly it had to cross their mind if you had an aptitude toward goalkeeping and wanted to be a goalkeeper. Why would we take this kid to a club that focuses entirely on deceptive dribbling and shooting
3: yeah I have no idea you know I mean to be honest I think it was literally like one of the few competitive clubs that had a tryout near us like I I don't know if my parents were looking at it too deeply to be perfectly honest sure but it was I mean if, if it was just serendipitous I mean that's definitely what it was because I mean it put me on a path to you know become a really rock solid goalkeeper and I think a big part of that is you know, all the fakes and moves and everything else that everybody was doing. I mean, Andy forced me to do that shit too. And, 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 and as a goalkeeper, you're sitting there hopping around the ball and you're wondering like, what in the hell am I doing out here, you know? And, uh, but it, I, I, I have an inner competitiveness about myself for sure. So, you know, if we were, if I was gonna do it, I was gonna do it fast, I was gonna do it well, I was gonna, you know, give it everything I had. And for me, a big part of, you know, what I found out really more later in my college years, I started to appreciate more just a big part of what it is that you do as a goalkeeper is being in position to make the save in the first place if you aren't there it's never going to happen. So that footwork and putting yourself in the proper position to make a save is huge. And something I heard you guys talk about, you know, on, on a previous podcast about ladder drills and things like, you know, uh, the hurdle stuff that you see a lot of times American coaches love these little, uh, things that they bring out from other, uh, uh, disciplines, I guess you'd say, but you know, those are things that, uh, I I did work on a lot in college uh, and I did find them to be fairly useful but you know what I'm trying to do in positioning myself and getting my body my shoulders over my feet from moving laterally to make sure that I'm putting myself in a position where I'm moving forward and I'm in balance and all those things those ladder drills the endless amounts of stuff like that did help and I think probably more than like the the hurdle stuff what I do like about the small ladders is that it really does it it doesn't cause you to get your feet up real high it's really about foot placement and doing it quickly for me it helps and it's something that i do uh with goalkeepers a lot because i think that they don't have the background that i had and they don't have that you know uh, learning the game as though it were ballet, which is basically what we did, and then applying it to, you know, uh, the greater game of soccer. And it took us forever to really start winning, you know. I mean, we'd we go out there and beat up on some teams that weren't very good, and we, or we'd go out there and we'd do some really cool stuff on the ball. We wouldn't win a lot, to be honest. I mean, it really took us until we were like 12, 13 years old to really start to piece together, like, okay, we're... We're here to, well, and Andy's philosophy changed a lot. Eventually, it became like, hey, we've got to start focusing on winning games because, you know, that's what you're going to be expected to do at some level down the road is really about playing as a team and winning. But, I mean, that's something that we didn't even touch until we were almost in high school, you know. It really was a different discipline altogether. It worked out six state championships in a row, so. Yeah, absolutely. can Can I go back to these ladder drills? Yeah,
2: sure. you know, and, and uh, you know, Bo, you're a straightforward guy, and I know you're going to answer me hon- honestly. Yeah. From when I started coaching you until you left the Legends Club and went
3: into college, how many ladder drills did you do with oh, me? Oh, zero, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that was, you know, these are, these are things that uh, a lot of times we took out of, you know, our strength and conditioning stuff, you know. And this is stuff that they love to push on you. Know, once, once you get into the college level, it's a big part of the game. And, right. you know, I think that... Uh, Well, I mean, if you want to know the way I think about that stuff, I'd, you know, ask David Moyes how that did him at Manchester United, you know, making these guys run sprints instead of just playing on the damn ball. And next thing you know, you end up ostracized until you finally kind of make things click again here this past season. But, I mean, you know, it it ran him out of football for a long time. I mean, that's not, you know, that stuff is... uh, You've got to expect these guys to be able to do some of this stuff on their own time. The time at, at practice shouldn't be wasted on sprinting. I mean, hell, I can go home and run the yard. You I think, know I think I mean? my
2: point is though that you know, and this is getting into a different topic than maybe yeah. we wanted to cover, but uh, I don't believe ladder drills make the best goalkeepers. I mm-hmm. believe that facing the bullets, you know, when you might have ten pairs of one-on-ones coming down your throat, you know, and the possibility of saving ten balls all at once. You know, that's what made you the goalie you oh, were. Oh, for sure. You know, you know, so, you know, it's, you know, ladder drills, you know, very manufactured, very static. Mm-hmm. Nothing's moving apart from you, and, and that's it. Yeah. The ladder's static, everything's static. You know, when you've got 10 different pairs of one on ones coming down your throat with the ball, then everything's moving. You know, the balls are moving, the players are moving, and you've got to develop everything you need to know as a goalkeeper.
3: It forces you into making some decisions. You can't be everywhere at once, you know what I mean? So, like, essentially is what you kind of do is you pick who you square up on and you lock in, you know what I mean? And then there's a lot of stuff that's going on around you, and you kind of have to just shove it aside and really focus on what it is at hand. And, I mean, it's really difficult. You're going to take some in the ear, (laughs) you know? You're going to take one in the the groin you're going to take you know you're going to take shots all over the place these guys don't care if i'm looking at them they don't you know they're just going to fire uh so that's a big part of it is really being able to tunnel in and focus and not letting the noise kind of come at you to the point where it just gets overwhelming
0: i want to dig into that in a moment But before we go there i think it'd be really advantageous and helpful to the audience all four of them um, if if they'd listen to you, Bo, describe, yeah, if, if they could listen to you describe mm-hmm. your memory of what a typical training session looks like. We've talked about it on the pod before. We've gone in, in depth on 1v1s. Here in a few pods, we're going to go in depth on 2v2s and what they look like. But like, I know I talked about it, and I think Andy and Philippe, we talked about it mostly from a perspective of coaching our field players. From a goalkeeping perspective, what what did those sessions look and feel like? What do they smell like? What do they taste like?
3: Well, the the one-on-one sessions were the worst. I mean, (laughs) you came in knowing that it was going to be the longest practice of the week. Uh, I I know a lot of the guys didn't really look forward to it, but I had – you know, I wasn't shedding a tear for them because my life was endlessly worse than theirs was going to be. We didn't have two goalkeepers. So a lot of times it was like a half court style situation where everybody is shooting on me. And that's kind of nuts. And especially on, you know, these small fields that we would use it like all American uh, that were, you know, tiny boxes. And it was literally like carpet rolled out on some pavement and then. Some paint thrown on top, and it's just like get out there and and the sweat paint was pants. hard. Yeah, no, they, they <laughs> the painted over hard. over again, to where it was like, yeah. I mean, I I had floating bone chips in my elbows and knees, like all through college. I mean, it was literally just from playing on crap fields, hitting my elbows. Like, I mean, there were just constant. My right elbow had constant swelling and just bone chips just floating in there. You could feel them, and that's just the, the I thought it was normal. The you know, good news I, is
2: that's all changed today, and you know. The fields we have in our facilities are lovely and soft. Yeah,
3: I, I just walk them, and I'm just yeah. incredibly jealous of these kids who probably have skin on their legs and, you know. <laughs> the environment's floating. the same. The <laughs> yeah, walls yeah. are the same. In yeah, fact, absolutely. one
0: of the walls in the field is the same field, the same walls that I trained on as a, a kid. Um, right. Uh, but, but the turf is much
3: better. Yeah, but and on top of that, I mean, what what I loved about the – looking back on the one-on-ones, I mean, the, the thing I loved about them is that really it, it, it teaches you a lot of uh, – a lot of the basics of goalkeeping which is really just you know like hey make yourself big hey be really brave yeah <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. don't go don't commit until he kind of shows his hand you know little things like that standing guys up and you know using your feet a little bit almost like tackling them one-on-one situations i'm you know we were talking about german goalkeepers and Neuer is, you know amazing we use both feet you know playing with Uh, You know, playing the ball but on top of that his ability to save with his feet is incredible too Uh, and that's his footwork in general is amazing and that's a big part of what it is that you learn when you're on the ball as a legend is that you're going to move your feet and it's going to you're going to do it around a bunch of other people too like we're in this tiny little spot and you're sitting there trying to pick out a good spot to just pull your Maradona turn off without ramming into somebody else you know what I mean so it's, it's just it's not just like in a wide open space where you're just like, oh, I'm going to sit here, touch, hop, and go. It's instead you have to figure out how you're going to do it between two guys that are trying to do the exact same moves you are and trying to kind of navigate this, uh, this small space that kept getting smaller as we kept getting bigger. Uh, so, you know, and a big part of the goalkeeping in for me was not just, you know, like getting a position, making yourself big and all those things. But up and down, I mean, it's it's literally like you get down to make a save and you get up, you get up fast. And that's a huge part of what this this whole thing of goalkeeping is. And most of the training that I went through at the higher levels is really all about just getting down and getting back up, because if you don't get back up on your feet to make a save, then you're then you're playing from behind. Right. So the, the faster you can get to your feet. And get your, you know, your balance and, and everything in line. The better ability you have to make the secondary save, which is so incredibly important, especially in today's game. I mean, nobody catching the ball is is incredibly difficult, and it seems like an art form that's just gone. To be honest, I mean, it, it seems like they're paring a lot of everything guys, away. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys just don't want to take the the chance of of something possibly going awry, and they'll, you know, they 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 punch balls away a lot of times. Where I'm just like, why wouldn't you just catch the damn ball? Hey, that's me sitting on you know the couch watching this stuff. <laughs> these guys are blasting them sixty seventy miles an hour, and this ball's moving all over the place and you know hundreds of thousands of people are staring at you as you're doing it. yeah, real easy for me to sit there and say, "Hey, catch the ball buddy uh but nonetheless, I feel like it's uh, because of the way the game's moving forward, the pace of it, the ball itself uh, has made it very, much more difficult to actually control with your hands uh, in these in these moments getting up and down is a is a huge part of uh creating a great goalkeeper in so, my mind.
2: so let me let me ask you a question here because you, know, cause, you know, and bear in mind that when you were young, I was yeah. still young enough to go in goal, <laughs> and a lot of times because there was only one goalkeeper on your team. You know I didn't want to pull a you know a player off of the field to go in goal, so I would actually go in goal during the one-on-one rounds. And guess what? I really, really loved it, because you know, having played a year in goal when I was a kid and sitting there in the freezing English winters watching my outfield players having fun while I froze my butt off was not fun. yeah, but when I played in goal in one-on ones aside from the occasional time when you'd get hit and you'd get hurt for a few seconds, it was an absolute blast getting shelled and and diving left and right and, you know, just all the time being engaged because a four-minute round seemed to take 10 seconds. Because of the speed. Just everything's going on, and, you know, when so much is happening, you know, time goes nowhere. You You know, you know what it's like. You know, when you're really enjoying something... You know, you come to the end and no, 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 it can't be right. You know, kids playing video games, you know, all of a sudden their go is over and they've just been totally absorbed and they don't think that five minutes could have gone by. Yeah. You know because five minutes felt like thirty seconds it sounds like
0: every conversation with my eight year old right now but <laughs> um, but for those of you that are listening, <laughs> if you haven't listened to the one v1 episode go back and listen to it because we go in great detail in how we structure our training environment but ninety percent of the sessions that we run are one v ones or two v twos where there's simultaneous games going five games going so 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 five balls ten players going or 10 games going where there's 10 balls or 20 players going in one V one simultaneously. And there's a goal on either end and a goalkeeper on either end. And the goalkeeper's responsibility is to stop them all. And so the, the, the numbers of real like real life game, like situations and stops is, is, is genuinely off the charts. And as I listened to you describe your memory of it, and that was kind of fun exercise for me because I grew up in the same one V one, two V two environment mm-hmm. But I've spent the last fifteen years coaching it as well. So I see it not through a totally the through the same lens that I that I would have seen it that I'd see it through if my only memory of doing it was actually playing in it. And so it was fun listening to you describe it. But just listening to some of the the things that you said, I wrote down four words. Attitude. It seemed to always work on your attitude. Mm-hmm footwork footwork was a giant piece of how you described your memory of it bravery you said specifically the word bravery but you know constantly sticking your face and your body and in front of shots and then fitness because there was never a dull second down up down up down up down up
3: absolutely and you know I think short memory too I mean if you're gonna it, it really you have to shake off you know, you're gonna you're gonna give up a soft goal in there. <laughs> it's just, I got, it's I got just a great in, memory here. Inevitable.
2: <laughs> I, got, I can remember Claire Isabel. We we
3: got. I mean, I I I had a temper, and so, it was so Bo, hard for me to let things go. Bo, but it was. Bo, let me. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> all right.
2: Let me describe two situations involving Bo as a young man. All right. The first is you're ten years old. We're playing on you know uh, all American indoor sports. I remember it like it was yesterday. The Eastfield and you know somebody scored on you and i'm in the bench area and you turn to the post and you start headbutting the post this is a metal post <laughs> you know Wait,
0: and I, and please I'm, tell me Bo was wearing one of those soft no, shell helmets no, that they wore
3: no. in the 80s no no no, no, no. no. it's not peter the, checking it the post <laughs> alan measuring it there yeah
2: it, it was an unlucky day for the post yeah, <laughs> Bo, Bo, Bo was using his forehead. Yeah, and, I've, I've been
3: making uh, terrible decisions for uh, a really long time. That's I, what Andy's trying. I, I, to. I, I, Bo I literally uh, invented <laughs> COVID fog. <Yeah. laughs> and, and
2: I stood there and, you know, and oh, I watched him yeah. do this you know, two or three times, thinking completely wrong that he'd stop. <laughs> and after about the fourth headbutt, I realized this was going to continue until I stopped him doing this. <laughs> You know, it's a kid, 10 year old kid, you know, and so I, I sprinted out through the door of the bench and over to him, and he's still headbutting the post, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> so I grab him and literally carry him, you know, kicking and screaming back to the box. You know, he's got this big red welt on his forehead, you know, from headbutting the post, because he wasn't taking it easy on the post or himself for letting
3: the goal in yeah and, I, I mean it's that's, no soft goals you know i mean no it's, it's, that's, that's rule number one in those one-on-one sessions you're you're bound to give up a yeah. soft goal i mean it's just something you're just gonna like you're gonna be moving on to the next thing too quickly or whatever else and it's it's very <laughs> uh it, it challenged me to push it aside and move on to the next thing and that's the <laughs> That's the one thing I think you, that you didn't do very well. No, well, thank you, <laughs> thank you for pointing and that the, out. The next
2: story is: we're, <laughs> oh, shit. we're not eighty story feet about. away from that. We're up on the mezzanine in, in that little practice field, yeah. you know. And the practice field is about eighty feet by about thirty thirty-eight, forty wide, and uh, and you know, one of the guys on the team hits Bo right in the crown jewels with an absolute steamer of a shot. And I hope all the listeners understand what the crown jewels are, but. It's British is for, you know, you know what, you know, and, you know, Bo is, you know, he takes it like a champ and he turns around and I think there was a couple of really choice cuss words involved in this. He said, if anybody comes near me, I'm going to break your, I think there might have been the F word involved, leg, (laughs) you know. And nobody went to him for the rest of the practice session because he was out on a head hunt.
3: So you were intimidated by him. Now me. I understand why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what were the odds?
0: I was probably playing left left <laughs> mid, didn't track back enough on a backdoor pass. Oh, man. Ends up in the back of the net. Poor I Kyle Lyons, was hurt for me, my
3: left midfielder for years. He loved getting forward, just couldn't get back. And he heard about it all the time. He's like, I'm trying. I'm like, I thought if I screamed harder, he could run faster. right? I mean, I was obviously very wrong, but nonetheless, yeah, I didn't like taking no for an answer. We'll just say that. Some things never change, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the good old days. so um
0: okay so uh, i want to bring philippe into this conversation just for some context and some perspective i haven't prepped you for this question obviously we've talked about it before if you haven't listened to the podcast before there's a great episode on brazil where you really dig into like brazilian culture youth development and philippe talks quite a bit about how he grew up playing learning to play the game but philippe you didn't start playing organized soccer until you were 14 or 15 right First pair of cleats you put on, you were 15, and, and it was for the academy at Fluminese, right?
1: No, it was a tryout for Flamengo. I didn't start actually playing organized until I was 18.
0: 18, okay, so he didn't play organized soccer until he was 18, and now he's a pro. Um, uh, but anyways, Philippe, uh, when you started like, playing organized soccer and there were, there were keepers around that were getting properly trained, what did that training look like?
1: Uh, it's funny that you asked that because I, I actually wanted to, to mention a, a couple of things. So I always played you know, up top. On the wing, mostly striker. Um, so all the finishing drills, I was part of it because I was on the other end of it. Mm. And just looking at the 1v1s here, never seen anything like it for a goalkeeper. Um, in fact, when I coach kids and I have goalkeepers coming for tryouts and stuff, and I show them to them, that's my selling point, said, <clears throat> how many shots are you, did you have you know in the last 10 minutes? And they were like, oh, I don't know. I said, well... I mean, just count the number of goals they score. Just an m- amount of goals, you probably don't get as many shots in a whole outdoor practice with you know your team. So, uh, does that make sense to you? Like, how many more shots you save? How many more repetitions? And how this setting, even though it seems not like it's not specific, it's absolutely amazing uh, for for you uh, from a development perspective. And, yeah, I mean, all the finishing drills that I've done in my life, you know, the keepers, you know, sometimes are even alternating and, you know, they're not getting as many shots. And, yes, bigger goal and sometimes more specific, but doesn't get as nearly as many repetitions in the clutch, you know, balls flying through. And as Andy said, you know, as a coach, pretty often you jump in and go on these 1v1s just to, you know, to make make it even and not to put a kid um, that is a field player in goal. And I'm I'm, I'm telling you, like, my U13 boys, I'm scared, you know, (laughs) because I'm not a goalkeeper and these kids are smashing the ball and I'm like, you know, if I'm paying attention to one game there and trying to coach, then there's this ball coming, flying, and I'm like, I just dodge it because, I, I mean, I'm a coach. I, I'm, I'm past. It's too the, pretty of a face. <laughs> it's too pretty of a You face. know, I don't want to show up to train the next inning with a concussion and, and all that. But, you know, uh, just imagining what, you know, a f- real goalkeeper on those trainings have to go through. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And the bravery, you know, the, on the fields that we have here, 4v4. At max, they're 72 feet by 36 these balls come flying and from real close range you know and they're there putting their face their body you know throwing themselves at it i mean it's just from as words that he said uh, attitude bravery i mean it nothing makes it more um demanding of these characteristics as an indoor facility and a 1v1 round like that because in the outdoor you know, if it's from a close range, you're usually just going to get somebody placing the ball. And from further range, you know, it, you're not that much at risk from getting hit from a ball as fast as you get here. So I think that um, helps the goalkeeper in being crazy. And let's be honest, goalkeepers are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to be,
3: it helps. It helps. It, it helps. it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> one of it, the things, it, things that people... You're going to be like,
1: stand there and let this guy kick the
3: ball as hard as he can at you. And you're just like, okay. Yeah, sounds you fun. Have something wrong with you. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: One, one of the things that people, um, you know, who haven't experienced the goalkeeping art don't understand is there are three big saves that goalkeepers, great goalkeepers, have to make. And one of those saves is a diving save. You know, one of those saves is the reaction save. And the other one is the one-on-one. And in our type of practice, where there are 10 balls perhaps going at once, you're constantly making those three huge saves that define the great goalkeepers. And, you know, we're in a situation where you know, we're doing these one-on-ones constantly and you face hundreds of you know the reaction saves, the dive-in saves, and the one-on-one saves in the course of a practice. And it becomes de rigueur, which means a habitual reaction because you have to be on your toes, you have to be ready, and you get live practice opportunities in tighter, faster circumstances than you're probably going to face in the outdoor game 99% of the time. You know, in practice, it's virtually all the time at full speed, you know, it's hell for leather, it's crazy, and the balls are coming at you in those three ways, and you've got to make those three saves again and again and again. And those are the three saves that if you look at the great goalies in world history, they were famous for making. You know, the diving save, Gordon Banks picking out the Pelé header in the 1970 World Cup. You know, a judge, the greatest save ever in soccer's history. You know, and that's something that doesn't happen unless you've been subjected to that type of situation thousands and thousands of thousands of times.
3: I still remember that yellow sweater.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: You look good in it. Yeah, Gordon. I I used to have an old VHS of world's greatest saves and that was Gordon Banks in that yellow sweater. Pulling that one out is still, you know, still in my mind. It's an amazing, amazing save that happened, you know, what, 50 years ago now, practically? And how good would he have been if he had have had all the goalie equipment that's available to oh, him? I was going to say, he may have been in leather-faced gloves at that point. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, Gordon played into his 40s there, so. With one eye. Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, something else, man. He's a true legend. Absolutely. I, th-
1: I think goalkeeper is probably the position that advanced the most um since soccer started because the goalkeepers nowadays first of all they're huge. Yes. They used them to be as <laughs> as big. Yeah. Secondly, with all the you know science behind it making them more physical, more athletic, you know, nowadays you see a PK, man, it's hard. Like back in the days you, you I, I people in Brazil used to say a good PK always goes in. Nowadays, I'm not so sure. You go against Manuel Neuer. I mean, you gotta put that ball right by the post and with some decent pace. If he guesses right, man, it, it's tough.
0: Yeah, at, at Tim Krul was at the 2018 World Cup, 2014 mm-hmm. World Cup, when he subbed in for uh, Netherlands and just stopped shot after shot after shot. Yeah, you know something that I didn't really think about until you said it, Bo, was how. Big footwork. I mean, I knew how big footwork was to to effective goalkeeping, mm-hmm. but how big the one v one and two v two environment that we have, how great it is at giving repetition for that footwork. Because yeah. it is, it, it's all about angles. It's all about putting yourself in that right position. And like you're making a save, and then you're shuffling to the other side, and you're making a save, and then you're shuffling to the other side. Mm-hmm. But it's not staged like we see, or like I I do with the kids when I warm them up before a game, right? It's not staged in that way. It is all, it's it's all live action. There's, there's, there's no, there's no fake rounds in the, in the guns of the, of, of the kids, right? Like they are, they are playing with soccer balls. It is a hundred miles an hour. And those, and those, those movements are real and they're not staged. It's whatsoever. unpredictable. It's unpredictable.
3: And yeah. Absolutely. And you're trying to find visual cues across, you know, where, wherever you're at to try to figure out where you are in the goal to better, you know, you're, you're using, you're moving side to side. You get a feel for, you know. How many, if I give it four and a half shuffles, I'm at the post. Yeah. You know, if I got four and a half right, I got four and a half left, I can get post to post. You know, I used to be able to, and it probably takes like 12 now. <laughs> Well, I Have remember. I myself. I can remember. <laughs> Only 12? Yeah. yeah. I mean, my ball was, crawling. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I remember Brett Clark, who was the keeper for my, my Legends team okay, yeah. at the end of our career. And, and in the 1v1, in our 1v1s, when I'd get a 1v1 with Brett, how effective he was at closing down space. It's, and he wasn't going to commit until he had I did.
3: a huge head, though. Like, maybe that was, like. <laughs> he, he might be he, here. He and, I, he and I played together at UMKC for a minute. so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the guy wore like a size 8 hat. I'm, I'm not sure. You, like you, definitely like wouldn't want to talk,
0: you definitely wouldn't want to talk trash about him because I think he's actually here right now. Oh, right now? now? I yeah. think he might be, and oh, he God. is. But he did have
3: a it. huge head. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: if I, I, hope you're, I hope you're, you're
3: hearing this one, I, I do. Yeah, he had a head like Barney Rubble. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a big part of it. Just get out there. You shut down that angle. You make yourself big. You don't commit and you make them beat you. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a big part of the one on one process. And a big part of what I got good at is, you know, a lot of guys try to slip that one right past your foot. And it's just a little open up your foot skate save little stuff like that, that a lot of guys, you know, when it came to finishing, always seemed like a really difficult spot for the goalkeeper to get was right by their ankles, you know, just on the outside of their ankles. And, you know, you're asking the guy to get all the way down there. Well, if you're using your feet, you don't have to. Uh, and a lot of guys are fairly terrible at that. And some of them are really, really great. The great goalkeepers, can they can stop it with whatever, you yeah. know. And it really kind of comes down to, you know, that whole idea of whatever it takes, because that's what you're going to be put in position of in these one-on-ones is you're just going to fling yourself at some some stuff sometimes, and that's what it's going to take.
2: There's, there's, there's two parts to, to what we're talking about. There's the... The environmental part which we spent virtually the whole time on you know as, as well as there's the technical part and this is very much the same way that we train field players and you know we do have a fantastic goalkeeper coach you know association with our club uh you know gentleman by the name of um of um uh brad ireland, brad ireland. and you are getting old <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> Here you
0: are and giving Bo a, he hard had a brother. Time his all right, gray on. Hair. I, I, I know
3: Brad as well. It's yeah. been a long time, but yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, and so and Brad handles you know teaching you know all of the various skills of goalkeeping, you know, the technique work, the technique work. You know, just like we teach a drag marathon a turn, and we do the technique technique work. You can't be a great keeper without the technique work.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But there's a
2: point where the technique work has to you know gradually move over, to, over into you know, the heat of the battle. Yeah. yeah. And you got to put the technique with the pressure.
3: Well, I think that's that's a huge part of it. And something that I was probably going to mention was the fact that, you know, these one-on-one moments it's really going to accelerate everything and if you're doing things in an improper fashion you might just be solidifying some really bad habits if it's kind of like my
2: senior moments it, you know something it, yeah, like okay you're
3: just, you're just old it happens <laughs> uh you know uh but but really i mean it's it's a, a, a big part of uh of that aspect is uh Well, see, what was I talking about?
0: (laughs) Do you guys want to play the categories game? No, no, no
3: no categories. I've taken a few hits to the head, so I got an excuse at least. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, a big part of it is, you know, in those moments, you need to be reinforcing proper technique, not reinforcing bad habits. And, you know, when you, especially when things get heated and really accelerate, it's really, really easy to make those mistakes and you know it's something that I preach a lot actually at work is giving yourself less opportunities to make mistakes and a big part of that is you know doing the work previous and then applying it properly when you're there Sure. Uh, so that's you know again and you know if you aren't doing these things in a a proper fashion and in a proper order you might just be you know fighting against uh, losing battle instead of a winning one if you're really just taking the opportunity to reinforce a lot of bad techniques and a lot of uh, bad habits and things like that instead of using it as a chance to really, uh, well, have that groundwork laid first and then applying it over and over again in these small-scale, really high-impact, very uh, quick sort of uh, environments. And that's where you really start to develop great habits. So,
2: so it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance, an opportunity here to tell a story. Uh, small-scale, quick environment. I'm a, I'm a kid in Oxford, England. I had the box room. I'm, I'm the, you know, the second child of a, a, you know, a four-person family, mum, dad, my sister, me. And uh, I've got the little box room at the end of the corridor, and I've got a tennis ball and a bed in this little box room. And all I could do with that tennis ball and the bed was throw the ball against the wall, dive to my right to make a save, and do it again and do it again and do it again. And, you know, this was, you know, I was watching Gordon Banks in the 1966 World Cup. He was, you know, he's my hero. And, and uh, you know, but I spent hour after hour after hour throwing that ball against the wall and diving on the bed to my right. So fast forward now, I'm 11 years of age. And each junior school in the, the city of Oxford sent two players only to the Oxford boys tryouts. The first age group, the Oxford boys had a team. And I wasn't picked for one of those two players. I was a field player, and Timmy Holforth and Graham Henley were picked in front of me to go to the tryouts. But I was good friends with both of them, so I went along to watch, you know, to see how they did. And I got there, and I'm in my jeans and a T-shirt, not expecting to play. And there were two fields, and they only had three goalkeepers. And the guy that was running the tryout came over to me and said, "Uh, we need another goalkeeper. Are you willing to go and goal? And I said, absolutely. You know, I was always willing to play. Didn't matter where, you know, give me a chance. And, and so uh, I'd been doing this thing in my bedroom for years. I'd been playing one on ones at the back of my house. The rec, literally, the recreation ground ended at the end of my garden and my garden began. So I literally spent hour after hour on the rec playing one on ones with my friends, you know, and one person had to go in goal while the other person was shooting, you know, and, and so there was tons of time spending goal. And I was really good at diving to my right. <laughs> And during that tryout, every single shot came to my right. <laughs> and so, you know, I spent a couple of hours out there throwing myself to my right-hand side and tipping the ball around the post. At the end of the tryout, they they took my name and my address. And a couple of weeks later, I got a letter in the mail saying that I'd been selected as the number one goalkeeper for the Oxford area, you know, and I'd never played in goal in my life before. <laughs> You were in jeans, right? I was in jeans and a (laughs) T-shirt, and he got my name and address, and uh, you know, because I guess he decided before the end of the tryout that I was the best goalie there. Now, here's a kind of a twist to it because my really good friend later was a guy by the name of Chris Rose, and you know, and he 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 was at that tryout and he had all the gear and he'd been a goalie all his life since he was a little kid, you know, and you know, and he had gloves and everything. Nobody had gloves in those days, and you know, Chris had absolutely everything. And just last year, I reconnected with him on Facebook after 40-something years. You know, we later we played semi-pro soccer together. And, uh, and so I reconnected with him and we went back and forth, uh, you know, lots of different, you know, exchanges and texts. And, and on about the 10th message, he said, uh, I've got something I want to say thank you for. I said, what's that, Chris. He said, thank you for not reminding me how you beat me out at goalkeeper of the (laughs) under-11 off (laughs) the boys team. (laughs) In jeans. jeans, I said, Chris, it was coming.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think Philippe said it best when the the art of goalkeeping has really improved a lot since those days, uh, clearly. But,
2: But the point is, you know, it's a good story, but it was the environment in my house Mm -hmm. that allowed me to develop the diving skills to one side that got me picked as a goalie. I feel training. like I've heard another, another
0: excerpt that finishes out the story where then you went and played and there were shots to your left and they realized
2: you couldn't go that way. Oh yeah, far. I didn't get picked again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, those are the points I left out of the bio. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of failures but I mean, uh, not enough room.
0: So, so, so the entirety of these training sessions that we run right, is on a 25 yard field 20 yard field, small field Right. And the extreme focus on the final phase, the goal scoring aspect of the game is incredibly specific and beneficial to goalkeepers because the entire session, they are a moment away from a shot. And that comes from the chapter chapter 40 in your book, Andy, Training Soccer Legends, um, where you talk about how we train our goalkeepers. But specifically, that comes out of the specificity of training and how it applies to goalkeeping. You remember andy when you wrote that chapter you talked about specificity of training economy of training and transfer of training um as as you look at like the economy of training and how how our training sessions match up to give the give kids the greatest economical advantage from a training perspective
2: what comes to mind well you know as a goalkeeper economy of training has got to be centered around the hardest saves so you know you have to pick out once again you know the reaction save the diving save the one-on-one save and if you're going to have the greatest economy of training knowing that the goalkeeper is going to be great if he can make or she can make those three unbelievably difficult saves then those are the saves that you work upon because uh, if you work on those saves you get the other saves if you're working on the most difficult stuff you know and this is economy of training as and well as transfer of training, training thrown in together if you'd work on the difficult skills first then you actually get within the difficult skills the easy skills and this is kind of counterintuitive because most coaches think that they have to start with a b c d e f g and you start with you know the letter a and you work to b and to c and it's very en- elementary and it's very simplistic Well, that's not the case anymore. We don't have crowds and crowds of kids chanting the alphabet. We've realized that if we can get them interested in reading and we can find things that they can read, you know, that are really capturing their imagination, we can go so fast and so far, much further than we did when we taught language in a rote form. Hopefully that's a good example. you know. And so rote learning of language skills are out of the window. Mm -hmm just as I believe rote learning of goalkeeper skills should be out of the window. We've got to challenge these kids right from an early age, whilst also giving them the technical instruction. We've got to challenge them in the one-on-one situation, in the dive-in save, in the reaction save situation, live in practice again and again and again. And dare I say this, one of the big advantages that you had, Bo, was by the time you got to be 17, 18 years of age and you were being recruited for college, you had probably faced easily over 100,000 more shots in the clutch in front of goal right, than anybody you were competing with for your place Division One at UMKC. You, know, you had completely outstripped every other goalkeeper that you were competing with for that scholarship, you know, that paid for, I think, most of your education, you know, and and so, you know, it gave you this incredible leg up because you dealt with really difficult saves As though it was like, you know, getting up
3: and going to the bathroom. It was easy. I think, you know, by the time I got to, like, college, it really, that stuff I wasn't worried about. It was really about, like, refining my game a little more and making sure that keeping my focus throughout 90 minutes can be really difficult when you're just not involved in the game or something like that. And being able to rise to the moment. These little things that are very game applicable. But... You know, I wasn't worried about the problem a lot with of your the, focus. The big, was
2: the beer that you had the night Probably the it didn't park.
3: help for sure. <laughs> but you know, I thought well, I got lucky too. You know, I mean, Rick Ben's a goalkeeper, and you know, he's a coach, head coach right. over at UMKC. And you know, the worst days there were when uh, the goalkeeper coach didn't show up, and Rick took us, and he just beat the crap out of us. I mean, it was he was. I I still remember to this day he'd sit there and hit these just volleys out of his hands. At the top of the box, and he would just paint the corners. I'm like, what the, in these, in his tennis shoes. And he's got to be like, you know, 60 at the time. I'm just sitting there looking over like Rick, like I, 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 me right now, like if I drop kick the ball, I'd probably pull my quad. And this guy's just out there just roping it, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, we're. I'd look over at, you know, Clint, my backup goalkeeper, and he's just like, yeah, this is going to be today. And I'm just like, oh shit. Like <laughs> praying for, you know, whoever the, Wizards or you know sporting KCs, kick you off the field. Yeah, so like their backup goalkeeper was a lot of times our our goalkeeper coach or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like praying Chris Snitko comes out Chris of nowhere. You know. Bo, Bo Shani. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 those were the guys that yeah. <laughs> <they> were um <laughs> they were great guys, you know. And I learned a ton from those guys. But I mean, behind that there was there was Rick, and he was a you know goalkeeper first and a coach second for sure. And I you know I think that. That's one of the things I love working with playing for Rick was that he loved playing really attacking style soccer, too. You know, we played flat in the back four, we didn't drop back when sweeper. nobody played flat in the back. No, I yeah. mean, it literally was like more a 4 2 4 than really like a 4 4 2, where our wingers were pushed up so high that you were literally, you know, playing against their defensive outwingers or their defensive backs essentially and pushing our strikers as far up the field as possible. And the two guys in the middle, I mean, one of the those guys had more defensive responsibility than the other typically but yeah I mean it was like yeah we were we were there to push forward as soon as we got the ball we were going forward and I that's why I love playing in UMKC we didn't it wasn't one of those teams that we're just going to pile 11 guys into our half and you know try to eke out a one nil win or something like that like he wanted to score six goals I did too. Yeah, I loved it cuz it was like, you know, there's real opportunity for some action on my end, which I love, you know, like test me. Like let's push this up the field and use me. You know, I'm pretty good. So, I'm not going to give up the soft ones. So, let's get up field and try to try to score cuz at the end of the day, scoring is what wins ball games. It's it's not it's not the team who you know the team who wins is the one who scores the most goals yeah. that's what i always loved about practice with andy as always and, and and rick included was i mean we worked on shooting relentlessly and i mean there were definitely days where you couldn't tell uh but but, <laughs> but, but we did i mean it was a huge part of every practice it was you know we'd start with you know warm up and uh some uh keep away stuff simple stuff like that break down into to some sides they'd maybe do some little technical stuff just to kind of get your blood flowing or whatever and then it was either we're playing or we're shooting and that's it like we didn't really practice defending we didn't. You just listen to me or you get yelled at. That was our defensive <laughs> practice was you go where I tell you or, you know, you get yelled at about it and somebody else will get up your rear end too. But yeah, I mean, we, we practiced moving forward constantly. Right. We did not practice defending a ton. And I think, you know, at on a larger scale, if you want to really project this onto American soccer as a whole, we really need to focus on attacking soccer. Number one, it's a lot more fun to watch. Right. I mean, I think that gets lost. in a lot of this stuff is that like I like watching attacking style soccer, don't you? I mean, it's a lot more intriguing to watch. Uh, It would probably bring a lot more people into the fold behind soccer who think, you know, just because a touchdown counts for six points (laughs) instead of one, that somehow football is an amazing high scoring game and soccer isn't. That's not the case, you know? Um, so for me, I think that, you know, that attacking style and moving forward is going to encourage different styles of development down uh, through the youth ranks. But on top of it, make it just a much more appealing game for the larger uh, people to to enjoy. And I think we've lost, I mean, obviously, with the last go-around of the World Cup is a huge example of the plan just falling apart at the seams, is that we, we you know, we essentially... Uh, you know uh broke our nose despite our face essentially by sitting there and thinking about results first instead of building the foundation to build something truly great and what instead we end up talking about a lot in american soccer is the tactic side somehow the coach can figure this out like, i i don't understand if you don't have the talent to do it you're just not going to win sure. very so, often so let's let's you know? go
2: back to the the goalkeeping talent let's go back to the soft goal topic
3: yes okay and uh you know and
2: I don't remember you giving up hardly any soft goals, you know, after a few years of facing the bullets with with the the Legends Club, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, how much does our philosophy influence a keeper to, you know, not give up the soft goals? But before we go into that, I want to tell a little bit of a story about soft goals, because uh, I was taking my A license uh, and I was with. Uh, the old national team coach's name was Lothar Osiander. See, I do remember some names. And, uh, and Lothar um, <laughs> decided to stop the, the training session. And Was uh, this the same guy with the piss in the wetsuit? No. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> he's
1: not Hungarian. <laughs> Another story. <laughs> I knew it was a
0: different story. I was hopeful it was the same coach because he's going to become my favorite. <laughs> well, <laughs>
2: now he's the one that's forgetful. Um, so Lothar uh, told us this, uh, this story about himself when he was coaching the national team, and David Vanoli was the goalkeeper. And uh, David Vanoli, you know, went out to try and block a shot and left a gap between his legs, and the, the opposing team scored. And Vanoli turned to Lothar and said, "Coach, coach, I know I should have kept my legs closed." And Lothar said, "No, David, your mother." Should have <laughs> talk about tough coaching. Yeah, tough love. love. I love it. <laughs>
0: That's brilliant. Make sure you snip this out. We'll put it on the clip face. Oh man, still one of my favorite memories
3: ever. is we were, we were, uh, we were playing in uh, the regional tournament, and this is my U sixteen year, and we're about to go. Well, th- we didn't know this at the time, but we were going to win the thing, and we were going to go to the national championships. And, of course, you know, Andy's there, but gags. Gareth Richards, our coach at the time. And uh, But, you know, you can't keep Andy away. He shows up to practices. He shows up to games. You know, you're just like, I thought you weren't our coach anymore. Like, what's, who's this crazy, creepy old guy running around? Uh, but, man. And short he, shorts back I, I don't know too. if he's Woo. ever shown you that he is – Andy is extremely talented when it comes to folding a towel. (laughs) He pulled this prank on us. No, I don't think we should go there. Oh, you (laughs) don't think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you should check out Andy's origami tricks sometimes. He's very, very astute. I, I had no idea you could do that with a towel. I'm eager guys, to hear this. story. I can't right? do it any longer, but I'll You can't do yeah, that one? I've that forgotten was, how to do it. Oh my god, he had all of this rolling. That's pretty good. I think that was actually the same weekend that somebody got Ben York to do the impossible sit-up. Uh, and he ended up falling for that one which is you know terrible stuff but yeah tricks with towels it was a big part of my youth growing up apparently around andy unfortunately paid
0: off all four years in college
3: i know yeah well i i didn't realize that we could censor the stories so if we could turn back time a little bit about that banging my head into a post that'd be great i didn't realize that we could just shut it off good to know next time